Hello and welcome to the Colorism Healing Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Sarah L. Webb. Hey YouTube, so this is me, Dr. Sarah Webb, and I'm here for a special video on the historic figures that taught me about colorism. So there are plenty, but for this video, I wanna focus on the eight that I discovered not as a part of my work on colorism, but just in, in my everyday personal life, okay? I'm going somewhat in chronological order, but as you'll see, some of the authors that I discovered early in life, I revisited later in life with more recent works. So the first of such people is none other than Marcus Garvey. So I discovered Marcus Garvey around 2000, maybe 2001, when I was transitioning from straightened hair to natural hair. And this was in the early days of the internet, so I was scouring blogs. Blogs like Curly Mickey were really popular back then. But I was looking online for support in my natural hair journey. And being a high school student, um, I really needed to see affirming images of natural hair at that time. And so I discovered a website that featured Marcus Garvey's content, the fact that he was a big proponent of Black is Beautiful, that he had a Black is Beautiful campaign, and that he would tell people not to straighten the kinks in their mane, but straighten the kinks in their brain. I really liked that. It rhymed. Also, it was during the time in my life when I was coming to awareness of race and my blackness and also again going natural it was just a big transition time for me as an adolescent in terms of my black consciousness and even though marcus garvey and many others like that are were married to lighter skinned black women i well a i didn't know that at the time that he inspired me but b um that doesn't take away from me the power of his words and the importance of promoting black beauty and embracing natural black hair. So it was around that same time I was going natural and searching online for many hours every night that I also discovered the words of Malcolm X in his 1965 speech, not just an American problem, but a world problem. So like many people, I had known about Malcolm X via the Spike Lee movie, but this was my first time encountering Malcolm's own words on colorism. It was also the first time I had ever heard anyone articulate as directly, as boldly, as clearly, and broadcast as boldly and clearly and directly issues like colorism. So the way he correlated the white-controlled media's negative images of Africa and negative images of blackness and how when black people consume those images, we were taught our condition to also dislike and disown Africanness and blackness and try to strive for the standard of white beauty that have been set up for our society via white dominated media. So his articulateness about not only the manifestation of the problem, but some of the roots of the problem were so pivotal for me at that time. And regardless of any other person that might have done more work on colorism, regardless of what else in Malcolm's biography is important to certain people, that speech 
basically saved my life as a young, dark-skinned black woman going natural at the time. So I am so thankful and grateful to Malcolm X and his legacy of loving blackness and promoting that love for blackness amongst all of us. And it was Malcolm X's words that inspired one of my favorite poems that I wrote, which I titled Our Feet. And so Malcolm says that our blackness, our African ancestry, for a lot of us felt like a chain. It felt, we felt trapped by our blackness. We felt like we were chained by our African ancestry. And so in my poem, Our Feet, my last lines are, we hate our feet designed so that shackles cannot slip off. And so in that poem, I'm basically saying something similar to Malcolm, I think, and that we focus on ourselves as the problem when really it's the shackles, really it's the racism, really it's the white supremacy, really it's the misogyny war, that's the problem. We in our natural state are not the problem. Feet are not the problem, shackles are the problem. Your blackness is not the problem, racism is the problem. And so again, that core belief which I've held so close to myself all those years was inspired by Malcolm X and one of his, one of the last speeches before he died. So the third historical figure who really inspired me and taught me a lot about colorism was of course, Alice Walker. Now, before I talk about Alice Walker coining the term colorism in the 1980s, I wanna talk about the work of hers that I actually encountered first, which was the short story, Everyday Use. So I read that in high school, and I really identified with the struggle between two sisters, one of them being lighter skinned and one of them being darker skinned, and the differential outcomes and the differential treatment that each of them received. But as an adult, I also read Alice Walker's book, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, which was inspired or a tribute to Zora Neale Hurston, which I'll actually talk about later on this list. But in our search, in her now, her collection of essays, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, Alice Walker has a chapter called, If the Present Looks Like the Past, Then What Does the Future Look Like? And that entire chapter is all about colorism, particularly among black women. And that's actually the chapter in the book in which she coined the phrase colorism and she defined it as prejudicial or preferential treatment among people of the same race, right? And she also, you know, argued that it was just as important for us to address colorism, especially in our black sisterhoods, as it is for us to consider issues like racism or sexism or colonialism, right? She says colorism impedes us just as much as those other issues. So those are two works by Alice Walker that really taught me a lot and inspired me in my current work on colorism. So the fourth historic figure that I'd like to celebrate is Zora Neale Hurston, whom I just referenced when talking about Alice Walker. In Zora Neale Hurston's autobiography, Dust Tracks on the Road, which I read my junior year in high school, yes, um, I was so inspired by Zora Neale Hurston in general, right? Her novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God, her autobiography, her story is just so inspiring. Her writing is just so wonderful. But in Dust Tracks on a Road, she explicitly calls out colorism within the African-American community. And it warmed my heart to see such a direct acknowledgement of the problem, right? Because at that time in my life, I felt like I could not speak out on it. I felt like I didn't have the space or the freedom to say 
that this thing, colorism, is a problem, and here's why. So it felt so refreshing to me that I, A, I was not the only one who noticed it and recognized it, B, to understand that it's part of a larger legacy, and so it wasn't just me, I was not alone in this. But then I was so inspired, again, by this author that I was already enjoying, that she, even though she's not one of the darker-skinned, you know, historic figures or African-Americans, she was observant enough to see that happening in the community and then also courageous enough to call out uh, the community on their colorism. So number five is also an author, Toni Morrison, who unfortunately passed away fairly recently at the age of 88. But I read Toni Morrison's novel, The Bluest Eye, when I was in college. I borrowed it from a friend of mine and that was my first time actually reading the novel, although I had heard of it before. And I identified with the main characters, Pecola Breedlove's struggle with identifying her own beauty in a culture that always valorized and glamorized and valued and admired whiteness, right? Particularly blue eyes, right? I could identify with that growing up and people always wanting pretty eyes, right? Which really just meant light colored eyes of any shade, but preferably lighter. So if they were brown, they should be light brown. If they were blue, that was great. Or gray or green, right? So just anything but dark brown, which is characteristic of a lot of African-Americans. But then later on in 2015, Toni Morrison published the novel God Help the Child. And I love that novel. It was one of the central novels that I studied for writing my dissertation. And I saw in an interview that Alice Walker decided to revisit the issue of colorism in the novel God Help the Child because in her 1970 novel, The Bluest Eye, the character's story was so tragic that Morrison felt like she wanted to explore a character psychology in a way that was more hopeful, right? And that didn't end in such a tragic or traumatic place, right? Uh, so God Help the Child is a great follow-up to that. I'm glad Toni Morrison did revisit the topic because for those of you who haven't read it, it does give us a sense that we can overcome the trauma of racism. We can overcome the trauma of white supremacy. We can overcome the trauma of colorism even when it's inflicted upon us by our own family, right? Or our own parents. The sixth historic figure is Wallace Thurman. So Wallace Thurman, I also discovered in college. I had never heard of him as an author. He was in Harle a Harlem Renaissance author. So he was publishing in the 1920s. And his famous novel is The Blacker the Berry. Yes, how do all black girls not know about a novel called The Blacker the Berry, right? But nevertheless, I fortunately stumbled across it, across it in a used bookstore, I think. And I read it and I was blown away. I mean, I had never read or been in any part of a discussion that just so clearly, so directly and openly explored the issue of colorism in every way. On every page, it was about hair texture. Every page, it was about being a dark-skinned girl versus being a dark-skinned boy. Every page was about the struggles of trying to get a job as a dark-skinned woman in Harlem in the 1920s. And the struggles of being a dark-skinned woman and wanting to 
move up in society, but coming up against classism and colorism and dating and um, your sex life and your friend circle, right? And all the myriad nuances, right? Going to colleges and being ostracized from Greek organizations while at the same time, because of your own internalized colorism, ostracizing other darker skinned black women who don't have alkaline features or a loose curl pattern, right? So the complexities that Wallace Thurman is able to explore in that novel when it comes to colorism are unprecedented. Seriously, unprecedented even to this day. And though it's not completely unproblematic, right? Um, in terms of, issues of issues of class in particular, I think Wallace does a great job in acknowledging that the character though a victim of colorism, is also a perpetrator of colorism because of the society and the structure that she has been grappling with. So I highly recommend that as one of the most thorough studies of colorism that I've seen even to this day. And number seven is the High Priestess of Soul herself, Nina Simone. So again, in college, I discovered Nina Simone as a singer. I think the first song I might have heard by Nina Simone was Little Girl Blue, and I was hooked instantly, okay? And I knew it was colorism. I was feeling something about colorism because I wondered why I had never heard about Nina Simone with her being such a pivotal black woman musician. When I had heard about Billie Holiday. I had known about the Lena Horns, right, and the Diana Rosses and all these other older female musicians. And I had never heard anyone in my circle, in my network, talking about Nina Simone on TV, in community circles, in school, right? So I felt like even that, the fact that I had never heard of her, could probably was a product of colorism in our culture. But then also I discovered the song Four Women, right? Four women, about three African-American women, all different shades, right? From very dark to very light to biracial. And even better, the dark-skinned, woolly-haired woman that Nina Simone sings about at the beginning of the song is named Sarah right? It doesn't get much more serendipitous than that. That me, who has had struggled with colorism as a child, but suffered in silence and never felt I had an outlet to express it, to then grow up, you know, continuing on my colorism healing journey and creating a platform, using my voice, using my personal gifts with writing and teaching to actually make a difference, that I would discover Nina Simone at such a pivotal time in my life and she's singing a song about colorism, about the differing shades of African-American women throughout the history of the United States and that the first one that I identify with the most because she has dark skin and woolly hair also has my name. This is a beautiful moment for me and I have no doubt that that is one of the founding moments or pivotal moments that shaped who I am today and what I am doing today. So, Miss Nina Simone, I love you, girl.
Okay, so number eight, the last and final historic figure who taught me and inspired me about colorism is Gwendolyn Brooks. It's appropriate now that I'm in Illinois since Gwendolyn Brooks is a Chicago girl, right? As all of her poems would suggest. And also her novel, her autobiographical novel, Maud Martha. So Maud Martha is a character who is dark-skinned and we see at varying points in the novel that colorism is a big factor or has a big impact in her life. And it starts at home with her parents and her siblings ostracizing her and rejecting her in favor of the lighter-skinned sister, right, who is their favorite. And so other kids in her peer circle also ignore her or bully her, but yet admire and cater to her older, lighter-skinned sister. And then we see it even as an adult play out when she's getting married to a man who she feels is settling for her when he really prefers lighter-skinned women with looser curl patterns in their hair, right? And then he entertains white-looking women at some point in the novel. But I love that novel, A, because of the writing style. It's so poetic. The prose, even though it's written in prose, it's very poetic prose. And it's written in little vignettes, right? So it's like a one long prose poem. But also I love Maud Martha's own awakening, right? I love her self-awareness, her interiority throughout the novel. So she is a character and apparently Gwendolyn Brooks as an individual is someone that I definitely relate to as far as being that kind of black girl, right? One who sees the colorism in the world, but has tried to maintain a, a sense of interiority that is empowered, empowered and that overcomes and that is content and happy and loving within myself. And so I definitely see that play out in the novel. So that concludes my eight historic figures who taught me about colorism. These people have been personally inspiring to me. They are by no means the only eight people who have said something worthwhile on colorism by far. But just in my own journey up to this point, those were some of the major milestones in terms of uh, public figures, writers, artists, and musicians who shaped and molded me along the way. I hope that was helpful to some of you. Maybe there's a new name on the list that you want to go and check out, see some of the novels or listen to some of the songs or go back and read some of the speeches that I mentioned here. Let me know in the comments what you think. And then also let me know any of the historic figures that have inspired you that were not on my list. So let's share and circulate all the people who have done amazing work on colorism and have actually made a different in pe difference in people's lives.